Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey folks, uh, welcome to our sort of weekly uh, Twitter spaces. Uh, We're back. We're also recording this as a podcast. We're back after a couple of weeks. Mostly though, I really want to talk about the off-season plan for the Yankees this uh Obviously, the season ended a week ago. I think everyone's hopefully gotten the autopsies and the sort of looking back on what went wrong stuff done. We've done a lot of coverage of that. Other places have done a lot of coverage of that. Kind of just want to talk about all of the work that's sort of coming down the pipe rather than all the stuff that happened a month ago or a week ago now. Uh, Joined, as always, or at least almost always, uh, by my co-host, Peter Brody. Hi, Peter. Oh, it's good to be back. What's up, Josh? That's, What's up, Esteban? You need to hey. relax. That's, that's <laughs> a lot of energy that we're putting into the room right now, where there's only three of us, so we need to dial it back a little bit. <clears throat> Hi, Esteban. Hey, you know what? I've been thinking. I don't know why I do this on my phone, because I have a, like a USB mic that I could connect to my laptop and do it there. But for some reason, it's because I, do I, it's because I don't. It's because I don't think the Twitter Spaces works on your laptop. Are you serious? I'm I'm like I'm like eighty five percent sure. Yeah, it doesn't work on desktop at all or, or laptop at all. Wow, that is silly. Well, never mind then. Mr. Muskie, please fix our Twitter spaces. <laughs> um. Okay. So uh, no one's in the room right now. That gives us a lot of freedom to say whatever the fuck we want to say. Have any sort of takes that haven't been written about how the Yankees season ended? One of the reasons why, you know, we tried to do it last week, timing just didn't work out. But also, like, I don't like, like, the raw, emotional, fire everybody kind of stuff that happens after your team loses. I think that there are questions about who should return to this team. uh, And there are, we'll get into those. But I just kind of wanted, before all that, just any thoughts? Peter, you were out of contact but Esteban, I mean, any thoughts on sort of the way the season ended and, and it's just very much the whimper that everything ended with? I, You know what? One thing that I've been thinking about more lately is 
while I was going to be during when, when it was all happening, I was go- I was angry that they were that Cashman and whoever else was going to allude to the idea that oh we had some guys hurt and that's a big reason why we lost and then in the last week or so since you know they've been eliminated, I actually think that that's a very very valid excuse. Good Benintendi, good Lemayhu, healthy Michael King and Chad Green, and there are guys that didn't have to play in the Houston series that are key con- contributions into why the team lost. I'm actually convincing myself more and more now that I'm, that's a I'm pretty there valid sort of. I'm, yeah. I'm less there on Benintendi than you are. Okay. Uh, because I think that I, I don't know if, I mean, maybe he would have hit better than Cabrera who didn't have a great postseason, but like, I have a hard time believing that Andrew Benintendi's like style of offense would have been any more impactful than what Cabrera did. And I see Cabrera very much as like the direct replacement for Benintendi. I think that the big I think the big loss is is Michael King. I think that for the entire season, you he was the best relief pitcher in baseball. And it like we talked about Clay Holmes Correct. and like Clay Holmes was great in the first half. Michael King was better because Michael King worked more than three outs. And I just, there's, there's no, you think about those games against Cleveland or the games where like Wandy Peralta was out in the fifth inning. And if the Yankees had had Michael King, boy, that's a very different, both series are yeah. very different. Um, yeah. Peter, you were in, you were on the salt flats, uh, but uh, you know, do you agree? Are you blaming on the injuries? Yeah, if I can just piggyback on the point that you guys, two guys are making, um, a lot of ink has been spilt throughout the year asking whether the Yankees of the first half that was playing at a historic pace was the true talent Yankees or was the Yankees that stumbled to a 500 finish in the second half and got swept by the Astros in the ALCS. Is that a truer representation of the Yankees? And I, I lean the way you guys are leaning, and I'd say that the Yankees that played in the playoffs were fundamentally not the same team that won so many games in the first half because you're missing, as you guys alluded to, guys like Michael King, um, Ron Marnaccio. Um, you're missing, you know, all the guys that you've mentioned that were missing through injury were enormously impactful towards their historic first half. And then, so you can't really say that it was necessarily the same team that entered the playoffs missing said guys. Oh, and DJ would be the other one because I think if oh, DJ, DJ, yeah. if yeah. DJ is healthy, then Josh Donaldson, I don't think, plays in the playoffs. Yeah, which would only have that. been a good thing for the Yankees, quite frankly. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, um, I, I think that the, the it's this is all super valid, but the one glaring hole that Cashman slash front office still deserves to be held accountable for is the shortstop situation. I can yes. all of the holes. And reasons we pointed to about ICAF not being a viable option, they were all exposed in the playoffs, every single one. And on top of that, he struck out way more and took way worse at bats. Remember how he, uh, we would always say, "Yeah, he battles sometimes. He has long at bats." Yeah, that did that did not happen at all. Um, it's been very funny that like one of the narratives that's come out of this season has been like Aaron judge can't handle good pitching, which I mean, no one can really handle good pitching. That's why they're good. That's why Justin Berlin didn't win the Cy Young because no one hits him, but boy, did IKF look exposed against the best arms that teams have to offer. And 
I don't know, man. Maybe a lot of those slap hitting, uh, you know, 17 hoppers up the middle, maybe that disappears when you're facing Framber Valdez and Christian Javier and, and guys of that caliber. And what a surprise that uh, I think the, I, I completely agree with you, Esteban, the, the pervasive worst decision that was made, other than maybe Josh Donaldson, uh, also a pretty terrible decision. But I guess they were part of the same decision because they the reason that they got IKF was because they took on Donaldson's money. And I hope they think it was worth it because I don't think... Right, and then obviously they expected much closer to MVP form Josh Donaldson than completely washed 2022 Josh Donaldson, considering that was, like as you said, the marquee blockbuster signing of, of their offseason, passing on the shortstops and passing on, like, Guys like Freddie Freeman, for example. Yep. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Uh, Vinny, what's up? I'll just start letting people speak before I ask them what's up, because it always takes about 10 seconds for them to connect. Oh, hello. Yes, uh, very, very, very sad end for the Yankees in 2022. Granted, won the division, but, you know, two seed. Beat the Guardians in five, only to get swept by the Astros, which... Yeah, we watched. We watched this. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I know. Just, 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 just giving a recap. Of it just, in, just in <laughs> case, just in case anyone forgot. Just, just, just need a little refresher because, listen. I certainly have not. L- forgotten. Listen, I will say this. I, I understand that for a lot of people, it's can be very, very easy to forget because recency bias plays so much of a role. But I need to really emphasize that because, listen, I could argue. You, you you could say the Astros beat the Yankees, but I would argue just maybe the Yankees just beat themselves. You know, and you have a lot of free agents coming up, but of course you look at Aaron Judge right now, and I mean, yes, we got we know broke the American League record for home runs. Whether or not you want to argue it's the entire MLB in history, that's that's another debate because there's people on one side or another that are going to say very very strong opinions. So it really, it's really a split decision, honestly. But nevertheless, he is a free agent. So the Yankees have to show a lot of money to try to retain him. But if he goes elsewhere, I'm thinking he'll go out west to play for the Giants. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously Aaron Judge is kind of the big question um, in free agency for the Yankees. Um, but I think before... We're we're gonna talk so much about um, and thanks actually for the for the transition, Vinny. Um, we're gonna talk so much about Aaron Judge this winter. I think that he'll probably be signed somewhere around the winter meetings. He doesn't seem like a guy that really wants to drag out. I think it'll be very similar to like Garrett, Garrett Cole's free agency. Um, but before we actually talk about Judge, I want to talk about two other people that I think are potentially more important than Aaron Judge. So Esteban, Peter, when we talked about this in Slack, I, I sort of posed these four questions to you. Um, and I think they're the four questions that really are going to determine the offseason for the Yankees. And it's Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, Aaron Judge, and Anthony Rizzo. By all accounts, it seems like both Cashman and Boone are going to come back. I was never in the camp that thought that Boone would be let go with two years left on the deal. I admit, I was, I was a little bit curious. I mean, it sounds like they're going to get an extension done with Brian Cashman. Um, I wrote a very long piece about Brian Cashman that came out last week, and you know, basically, my opinion is I think the guy is is quite a good general manager. I don't think that he's the worst GM in baseball by any stretch. I also don't necessarily know that he is still the best GM in baseball. I think that 
Last year, Aaron Boone said, you know, the league has closed some gaps on us. I don't know that Brian Cashman has done enough to uh, sort of increase the lead that the Yankees would have over the field. And he certainly, if I was starting a franchise, I don't think he'd be my first pick as GM. Esteban, Peter, starting with Brian Cashman, I mean, we figure that he's coming back. Should he come back? And and sort of what is your opinion of him? And and again, like, we try not to be the super hot takey, fire everyone, everyone's dumb kind of people. And I don't think that you two are like that. Peter, you're chomping at the bit. Do you want yeah, to No, yeah, sorry, no. Um, I, I, I think Brian Cashman is the Michael K of, of the general managing world. He's like just right in the middle. There's general managers who are demonstrably better than he is. And there are general managers who are demonstrably worse than he is. I think that he has one of the safest jobs in baseball. I think he has a lifetime appointment as the GM as long as he wants it of the Yankees. <clears throat> I like really don't envision a scenario where he's not brought back. I do think it's worth questioning whether, you know, obviously we know that the Yankees are a heavily, heavily analytic team. I think it's worth questioning whether the people that they have in said analytics department are fulfilling the, the job to a necessary and, yeah, a, a level that is becoming of a, of a team that makes so many of its decisions based on, those, on, on that department. I differ a little bit. I still think that he is near the top tier. If he's not in the top tier, then he's right behind it. Um, What's the, what is the I, tier? Is like is like S, yeah, A, B, C. I would put him in like the A tier. Like I don't think that he okay, is the I, upper yeah, echelon of GMs. I think that he is. I think he's still very good, but I don't think that he's. I don't think that he's as good as the team the Dodgers have, the Astros have. I would argue. I mean, even what Cleveland has in terms of their ability to pick, to pick the Braves the up. Uh, yeah, I think that like there's like four or five front offices that I'd take ahead of the Yankees, and then I'd take the Yankees probably like six or seven, somewhere around there. Personally, I'm waiting how wonderful the Yankees pitching development is. It mm. might be the best in all of baseball. My, from minor, from low minor leagues through major leagues, they just continue to churn out very good pitching. And what happened to the trade deadline this year is going to continue to happen where guys like Wesneski and Wesnensky, Wesneski, Wenzeski, Hayden. and others, <laughs> where Hayden and others who become, you know, AAA depth, maybe back of the rotation starters will just continue to keep coming along and, you know, become trade bait essentially. Um, so I'm, I'm really heavily waiting that and like, listening to other people in like, you know, the baseball industry who constantly credit what the Yankees do with their pitching. Uh, I mean, Sam Brand and Matt Blake are unquestionably probably the best. At, they are in the S tier themselves. Yes. I would agree with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, however, the unwillingness to supplement position player talent with additional talent via free agency and sometimes trade uh, like that hurts them. And I don't know if I'm willing to put the entirety of that blame on Cashman. If so that I'm makes gonna, sense. I'm going to explain to you why you're wrong in 30 seconds. Aiden, um, what's up? You have 30 seconds before I yell at Esteban. I had one more thing. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Um, However, examples like the Josh Donaldson trade and, you know, Chapman and Britain and all the money that have been put into them, like that's borderline blasphemous, um, which is what 
really downgrades my overall feelings for him. And this like, is, but this is why, like, this is why, like, you saying his unwillingness to go all in or like make big splashes mm-hmm. doesn't hold up because he does make big splashes for a year. Like, th- and this is part of your job. I don't care what Hal Steinbrenner tells you. First of all, Brian Cash, this is Brian Cashman's organization. It's not Hal Steinbrenner's organization. Uh, he has been in place for 25 years that in- the entire brain trust of the organization is Brian Cashman's people, not Hal Steinbrenner's people. Second of all, part of your job as a general manager and look at the Phillies with Dave Dombrowski is to go to ownership and say, this is the move that we need to make. And Brian Cashman seems unwilling to do that. Thirdly, Brian Cashman likes the fact that he doesn't get accused of buying championships anymore, as I've said before. And fourthly, you know, he doesn't push his chips all in on any one move. That's exactly what he did with IKF and Josh Donaldson. He pushed all of his chips in on a 34-year-old Josh Donaldson, 37-year-old, excuse me, uh, still having his bat speed. And uh, IKF, who had ne- really never played shortstop, was, was an adequate third baseman, uh, being able to be uh, big parts of the lineup and of the defense, and they weren't. But the difference was that commitment is for two years, and now we're sitting around with our, you know, watching two other teams play in the World Series and wondering how we're going to rebuild the left side of an infield that was among the worst in baseball. Mm-hmm. I agree with you with that, Josh. Um, it's his worst move of all time. Frankie and Montas to, might be worse. Which is, well, we'll see about that. No, but to, to defend Esteban for a second, I also think that there's a qualitative difference between your big move being like what the Dodgers do, literally adding a unquestionable superstar to supplement their already, you know, talent-laden roster every single year. Whereas Cashman's move is to make these, you know, quote-unquote big moves, but really a big move is just to preserve the luxury tax flexibility and maybe he makes the like one big big move every two or three years, like you know Stanton and, and Cole. But he's not the 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 big moves that he does in the in the in between years are really just stopgap moves rather than blockbusters. Yeah. Second, sorry, Esteban, you have a final thought there. Go ahead. No, I as I'm listening to you, Josh, uh, I am reminded of how bad that move was and what the immediate alternatives were and how it directly led to the twins being able to swoop up Correa who is a, still was still is always going to be a perfect fit for this team yeah um so the second of sort of the big four Aaron Boone we already know he's going to be back um do you guys care about Aaron Boone I feel bad for him because the team needed a shortstop. He can't play shortstop. <laughs> no, he can't. He can't. He's too old. Peter, do you care about uh, Aaron Boone? Uh, not at all, but I, I agree with you. I, I think having just completed the first year of a three-year extension, I didn't think there was any chance of him being fired, except if they had been eliminated in the in the DS by the Guardians. I think that would have been really interesting to see what they would have done. Yeah, I so I'll admit, I don't care that much about managers. Um, the one thing that I would say about Aaron Boone is if his job is to, like, communicate and be, like, a good sounding board for players and, like, be that kind of manager, I don't think he's all that good at it because, like, there, there were multiple times this year where, like, like, it happened in the playoffs where Clay Holmes was told, you're available, you're not available, what are you doing, what's your role, like, there's that, there's 
I don't think that he communicated very well the decisions about shortstop. Now, I mean, those decisions were pretty chaotic, but, you know, it just, if that's his job, and he was very good at it for the first, what, what was this now, his fifth year, his first four years as manager, um, he's gotten, he was noticeably worse this year. And I think that that's a little bit concerning. He's never going to be like the great, like strategic manager. So if you're not going to be that and you're here for the basically to be a vibe curator, the vibes were not good. Bad vibes, bad vibes. I think he just he's filled with toxic positivity. He's just so that. Yeah, go ahead. It's it's con it's just constant. Like, no, everything's all good. We're not that worried. It's 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 constant. It, it's weird. I don't think that is the position of a good leader. It's just not honest. Yeah, and I think like like there's never a sense of urgency. I think that a lot of that comes from Cashman and sort of the 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 philosophy of the front office. But I think a lot of it also comes out through Aaron Boone, like to Esteban's point, like oh yeah, those guys they battled today, they had good events. And I don't think that you need to you know smash up the clubhouse or anything stupid like that. But I think that you can say like. This is a big series. Like we, like the after they lost that game to Cleveland, like, and, I, and you guys know what I mean when I say that game to Cleveland, or after they came back to New York down 0-2 against Houston, like, I think you can address the urgency and the tension that's being built up rather than just fall back on the same, oh, guys are having good at bats, blah blah blah, and you don't have to throw guys under the bus. You don't have to do anything like that, but just say like, this is a huge series. This is a big moment for our series. I'm trusting that our guys are going to come through when it really counts like it's just a different it's still you can still be positive but it's just a different it's a recognition of the moment that i don't know that aaron boone does particularly well yeah and i also wonder how much of that complacent mindset bleeds over into the clubhouse where Mm. you hear guys saying things like oh you you know when they were like really losing games in the second half like oh well you know we'll just get back to we know we're a good team we know we're going to get back to playing like that it's like no you actually have to go and make it happen yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then we have our, our sort of our third big question, and this is Aaron Judge. Um, so we've talked about it all summer. We'll talk about it all winter. Right now, both of you, if you were to sort of set odds on uh, opening day 2023, what uniform is Aaron Judge wearing? Dodgers. I still think it's going to be the Yankees but I'm worried at what they will do with the rest of the roster. Yeah, I think I would probably, we've had this conversation before, but like, I think, I think the Yankees are the favorites, but I think the field is most likely. Like, I think probably the Yankees are like a 33% chance to bring it back. And that's the most of any one team, but they're not, you know, they're not the majority here. Um, I didn't, Peter, so in the links post, uh yesterday whenever you had that uh the texas rangers were looking at aaron judge doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me but every free agent class there is one or two teams i don't think anyone thought that minnesota would agree to a weird little contract with correa um and certainly nobody thought that texas would sign Semyon and seager so of sort of we know that the yankees are going to be interested we know the giants are going to be interested we know the dodgers are going to be interested Outside of like what we would consider to be the favorites, what teams, both in terms of payroll and roster fit, and Esteban, if you have thoughts too, feel free to jump in. Like, who makes sense that we're not talking about? Oh yeah, so you and I have talked about the Marlins a lot, 
and them making judge their version of the Rangers signing Semyon and Seager, where it's like, can we can we jumpstart? Can we get a face of the franchise? Can we jumpstart our window of contention? Um, I think the Cubs have a ton of money to spend. I don't know necessarily. Well, they do need an outfielder. I mean, and it's, you know, it's a they big team with the history. I think, I think they could fly under the radar. I think the Rangers are legitimate. Um, I think the Bruce Bochy hiring signals a, a very much a win now mentality. Um, because he might die if you <laughs> like literally. Yeah. Um, uh, and also like clearly that team needs a lot more in the lineup than just Simeon and Seeger and actually needs a lot even more in the rotation. So maybe they don't make a ton of sense, but, um, uh, and then you look at it. I'm not really sold on, you know, on the giants. I just don't see them spending what it takes to, to sign um, judge, but no, the Marlins Cubs and Marlins Cubs, Matt's not really much, that much, but Marlins Cubs and Rangers, I think are like that in that dark horse tier of, of teams that could actually like offer a competitive package. I, Peter, I'm doing it again, but I'll probably disagree with you slightly about the giants. Oh, I think, I, yeah, I think the giants are going to be pushing hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they will do whatever it takes to not get beat with an offer. And I think it was Eric Longenhagen was on effectively wild saying that like people have told him that the giants have just been waiting to strike on a specific player and that he thinks that judge is the player. And again, that just wouldn't surprise me. They need it really, really badly. And they're developing well. They're also, you know, developing players really well and just need to supplement their their roster to be at all, at all competitive with the Padres and Dodgers. And then my sleeper-ish team is the Mariners. I think that they're projected mm-hmm. around $130 million for the coming year. And say you give Judge a deal within the 30, 36 to 40-ish million range, that still puts them well under $200 million, which I don't think is unrealistic for them to get to if they do truly want to compete with the Astros, which I think all signs indicate that they are going to do what it takes. Uh, it would be so sad if we lost another homegrown star to Seattle but in this case, I think it will hurt even more because it's, it would put the Mariners over the edge. Yeah. Um, Brian, we'll get to you in one second. I just want to give like my sort of sleeper picks. And it's a combination of, of both of you guys. I think that the, I think the Marlins make all the sense in the world. Um, I would be very curious how much of the debt they've paid down from the acquisition. That was sort of the big reason why they cut so much. Um, and, you know, there was the rumors that the reason that Jeter left was because he was frustrated with, the lack of big ticket spending. Um, there's a lot to like about the Marlins on the pitching side. Uh, boy, do they need some way to push runs across. And, you know, again, I don't know what the servicing is on the debt. Um, they took on more than a billion dollars of debt, I believe. Um, so I don't know where they are on that front, but I think that they make a lot of sense. And people are going to sneer and say, oh, the Marlins. Like, I, I think that they are more in play than other teams. I completely agree with you, Esteban, about the Mariners. And again, like, I don't, I know it's a cliche. Like, I know it's the thing that we always whip out. It wouldn't surprise me to see the Angels get involved in this, in sort of a last ditch. Mm. Who knows how long we have Otani for. Mike Trout, as we've discussed many times, is washed. 
And I mean, Moreno is selling the team, so maybe he doesn't want to do that if he's not going to be in control of it. But I, I could see him seeing this as like his last big move because um, we know that he loves to do this kind of stuff. Um, Brian, what's up? So my question would be, what do you guys think if, let's say, Judge is gone? What's the plan B? What do you ah, think? Yeah, that's, so, that's, you have, that's the next, that's got to be the next question. question. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. So my so I think that like it'd be interesting. I mean, if they wanted to, they could go start like a, a semi rebuild because the only person they have that's kind of a blo- like a superstar would be um, what do you call it, uh, John Carlo, who can't stay healthy. And would they go full youth, kind of like we're going to go full youth guys with a mix of veterans, and this is going to be a scrappy team? Like, what what direction do you think they will go? Can I go first? Please. The answer is Shohei Otani, without question. No, they lose Angels, ju- aren't they lose him. Judge, Angels aren't trading I, I don't know. I really don't know. I think that the Yankees have a package that is pretty compelling. Uh, just it's hard to build a trade package better than they could if they're willing to include Braza, Cabrera, Volpe. It's just, you don't always come up on middle infield talent like the Yankees have and have behind the, even this wave of players. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm being a little crazy here, but if Judge ends up in the upper 30s of payroll and we know Otani is getting $30 million, um, and then they can shed some salary with Donaldson elsewhere, they can still make this a pretty damn good roster. But that's just like, you know, me sounding like a crazy Yankee fan. Um, Yeah, I don't want to be this kind of person. I don't think there's a chance in hell that that happens. I don't think that the Angels are particularly interested in trading uh, Otani, at least until the deadline. I know that report came out this week. I, I Here's what I actually do think. I think if they let Aaron Judge walk, uh, they will be under a lot of pressure to spend a fair amount of money, even if it's just on short-term stuff. I don't think that they entertain Trey Turner. I don't think that they get into Jacob deGrom, but I think that there's, I'm just pulling up the list of free agents. It's a pretty, it's not a great class, which is too bad. But, uh, you know, I think that they would make a real play for Carlos Rodon. I would wonder if they would get into the Xander sweepstakes. I could see them, you know, dabbling a little bit in other spots, hopefully not big relief pieces. I think that they would be really pushed hard to bring in like two 25 mil AAV guys, not playing at the top of the class, but I think that they'd be pushed to actually spend a little bit if they let judge walk. Um, Peter, what about you? I I agree with you. So uh, we've talked a lot about um, these spaces about it's important to listen to what, what people are saying, because a lot of times they're just telling the truth and what messages, what messages um, the organization is sending. So we know that the two things that the Yankees decision makers value more than anything is maintaining payroll flexibility to duck under the luxury tax every three years and being able to field a consistent playoff contender, get into the playoffs every single year. We also know that they've said that they are going full steam ahead with this, with the youngsters playing shortstop. Um, that they were fully committed to Operation Stopgap and that they it, there's little indication to believe that they would veer off of that. With all that being said, if Aaron Judge walks, 
I think in order to maintain that ability to make the playoffs every single year, they would have to have an offseason like 2014 when Cano walked and you sign, like yeah. you said, Josh, two 25-ish million a year players to try and compensate for the value lost by letting Judge walk. I think Rodon yeah. is at the top of that list. I think I'm glad that you mentioned I him. think they should get Rodon no matter what happens. But. Yes. Oh, absolutely. But I, but he it feels like if they let Judge watch, walk, he, it feels like eyes immediately turn to him. And then the other problem here is that you then also need to bring in a position player, an impact position player, to replace some of the offensive production from Judge. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, all of the top offensive short uh, free agents are shortstops this year. So that kind of puts you at a loggerheads with how committed hey, are they to, hey, to the stop? Hey, Xander is a free agent this year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, how dedicated are you to operations to stop gap shortstop? Or do you have to completely change gears because losing Aaron Judge just completely changes the, the calculus of the equation? So I agree with you. I don't think Trey Turner make, I don't think they really pursue him. I think Dansby Swanson probably is the guy that they look at, which mm. is pretty gross, you know, if Judge moves on. And then... I think they probably end up signing someone like Nimmo. Um, oh, one other thing. If Aaron Judge walks, uh, Andrew Bantamian definitely comes back 100%. Oh, yeah, him too. Jonathan, uh, I invite you. I know we had you up as a speaker. I just didn't want to interrupt Peter. Um, if you want to jump back in as a speaker, feel free to. Otherwise, um, we got to go to our fourth question, uh, Anthony Rizzo. So Rizzo's a guy that I uh, – uh, yeah, Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, so – um, I mean, we will all love Judge back and everything, but honestly, I would rather give or at least get three or four All-Stars and give it to one guy. I mean, we've already tried it with Judge several years, and no. I mean, we've only gone as far as the ALCS. I mean, we all need different positions. Of course, we need third, second, first. I think we could get our pitching a little bit better, and I'd honestly rather give it to four or five actually All-Stars that are going to be hitters or whatever, then give it to one guy. So I have, so I have a couple of questions. So I know, I know Peter and I, and I'm like, thank you for, for contributing and, and, and talking about it. What for also, like, let's say that Aaron judge gets, gets $40 million a year. So what for all stars on the market can you get for $40 million a year? I don't know where that, I don't know how that math works, right? Because if you sign Trey Turner, that's $30 million of your $40 million gone. If you sign Xander, that's 25-ish of your $40 million gone. If you sign, you know, Syndergaard and Rodon to bolster your rotation, then your $40 million is gone. So I don't, I guess I'm not seeing the math there. And the other thing, like, I think that the Yankees, they're stupid for not having extended Aaron Judge four years ago and avoiding this conversation entirely. But I think that they're actually in a really good position to add a contract like judges because you're going to get so much relatively cheap value out of Volpe and Peraza and Cabrera, who I think you know, we're again, we're going to get to those three guys in a minute. But I think that the three of us certainly expect those three guys to be big parts of the lineup. The, the hanger is the Josh Donaldson contract. And how can you get rid of that? And do you need to dip into your prospect pool? to get that, but like, he's probably not going to be an 11 and a half win player next year. I think we can all agree on that. But like, if he's an eight win player, like I don't, I don't know where you find those eight wins and able to concentrate them in a single position is so much more valuable than having 
three, you know, 2.5 to 2.8 win players that you're spending that money on anyway, because now you have Aaron Judge putting up eight wins in right field. And, oh, by the way, you also have Anthony Volpe, who's probably going to be like another three win-ish player in his rookie year, probably. And Devon Peter, I, I feel like we're probably simpatico on this. Yep. I don't need to say anything else. Agreed. Yeah. So, I mean, the, this idea of spreading around the money, I get it. I really, really do. I get why that's appealing. Um, I also like even other successful teams, like even the the Cardinals, who we think of as like the spread around team and have good players everywhere, still went out and just spent a boatload of money to get Nolan Arenado and a boatload of money to get uh, to retain Paul Goldschmidt. Um, the Phillies, I mean, I think the Phillies are showing us right now the value of just, hey, here's the best player, give him the most money and see what happens. Yeah, and in baseball, the way that you spread around money is with your guys that are under team control. You, or you extend them. Yeah, you can't, you can't do it from free agency and trades. And I mean, if you're trading for guys, it's probably because they're under team control. So what do you guys think about Anthony Rizzo? So I'll, I'll be honest. I need to eat some crow on Anthony Rizzo because I, I, I got Anthony Rizzo and Josh Donaldson exactly backwards. I thought that Donaldson would be like this stabilizing influence in the lineup and he would provide a lot of protection for Judge and Judge and Stanton. And then he would, uh, you know, kind of suffer defensively and, uh, you know, but he'd be a good bat. And I thought that Anthony Rizzo would be like, oh, he'll play a good defense, but we'll see some real decline in his bat. And it turned out to be the exact opposite. Uh, Anthony Rizzo had a very good season. Um, I I think that he is still one of the very best defensive first basemen in the game. I think that he really showed an ability to to adjust to Yankee Stadium for his swing and his power. And if we're thinking about Volpe and Peraza and potentially Cabrera all being on the infield next year, it's really nice to have a first baseman that's as good defensively as Rizzo is. And um, Esteban, we talked about Adley Rutschman and Yadier Molina and how sometimes you just have to kind of listen to what players, to how players talk about other players. And like, okay, if, if everyone that Yadier Molina has ever pitched to says that he's a pitcher whisperer, then there's probably something to that. Well, every infielder that Anthony Rizzo has ever played with raves about how secure he is there at first base and how much easier he makes their job. Um, so given that, are you interested in Anthony Rizzo coming back next year? He's he's going to opt out. Yes, certainly. And I think realistically, what's what's his AAV going to go up to? Probably like 20-ish mil around there. So it's not like it's a big damper on other roster moves. I think that the, – I, I don't remember where I stood before, but I think that your stance before the season was pretty spot on. And where we – what we, you, I don't know, most people probably didn't see happening was Anthony Rizzo's ability to make an adjustment hitting and Josh Donaldson's inability to make an adjustment hitting. And if Rizzo can well, I think this year he proved he can make adjustments year over year pretty damn well, that that type of hitter has a good influence on a lineup because like you said, it seems that he is this just type of leader that people gravitate towards or just really... Yeah, he just he, he seems like an actual good leader. And I think that maybe his hitting style and ability to make adjustments 
battle out at bats like he did all playoffs might have a a positive effect on some other hitters so i i think he's absolutely worth keeping around it's not that i i also think that you can find first base production anywhere but i don't know if that always coincides with a great leader and defender as well so i actually have to eat even more crow than josh did because i am on record saying that i hated the signing um, you guys, like, you can go back and, and, and look at the tapes from one of our early Twitter spaces. The only thing that I'll add to this conversation is that I think it makes all the sense in the world for the Yankees to to re-sign him when he does opt out. I think he's earned himself either another year or maybe a couple more million AAV over his previous deal. I could envision a scenario where they cut bait and just have DJ play first base and say, that's that's a 20 plus million dollar 20 ish million dollar contract that we don't have to worry about um on the flip side like he he it seemed like he became Aaron Judge's best friend really quickly so you know if you're if you can give yourself any edge over the field of of keeping Judge in pinstripes then I think just for that it would be worth bringing uh, Rizzo back yeah I would you know the reason that I wouldn't really want to pencil DJ in at first base is I mean, we might as well have the conversation right now. I, I think that the move, I think that the way forward in this offseason is you got to find a way to get rid of Josh Donaldson's contract. And if that means that you stick Wells or Dominguez, I mean, huh, maybe not Dominguez, but like Austin Wells or Trey Sweeney or someone like that, someone that's just outside sort of the big three prospects, you have to get rid of that $25 million a year. That has to be the biggest priority because it's just when when the Yankees are going to operate the way that they do, that just sucks away so much, so many of your options. Then you can move IKF to third, have Peraza at short. They're going to fuck with Volpe's service time, but when his service time, you know, he'll be sent to AAA for two weeks to work on his defense, and his defense will suddenly be fine. We're having, but my, my, my point is the reason I don't want DJ Pencil in at first is we're putting a lot of weight on like three rookies who have holes in their game as all rookies do and if they're not if they don't hit the ground running i like having dj on the bench that you can plug in at third or plug in at second if volpe doesn't hack it in his first time up in the majors which a lot of guys that happens to whereas if you have dj at first then who do you move to first And i know it's easy to find first base replacements but like i don't know uh, esteban i i think it's hard to bet on dj being an everyday player at all for the rest of his career. So to pencil him in at honestly, even second base as an everyday second baseman might be tough for the Yankees. I think that they'll continue to value him or see him as a utility player who plays those three different positions while you have another player who gets 450 to 500 plate appearances at that position, if that makes sense. Talent wise, don't get me wrong. I, I would love him to be an everyday player, but I just don't know if that's possible given his body. No, I definitely agree with you. I think in an ideal scenario, DJ becomes your your super utility player. I will caution Yankees fans not to hold your breath for the Yankees to trade Josh Donaldson this year because uh, if I'm getting my numbers correct, he comes off his 25 million comes off the books right when the Yankees are potentially trying to reset their tax status, their tax offender status. So I mean, there's not really other than other than the right to not pay him the whatever 18 million that he's going to make this year, which is, which don't get me wrong is factors huge into Steinbrenner's mind. If he can 
not pay someone $18 million that he's not going to pay them $18 million. Um, but I don't know that there's that much urgency on the front for, for the front office to uh, unburden themselves of, of Donaldson's contract, given, given the length. Well, there's also just like, it's, it's less of, I think it's less about the reasons to unburden themselves of Donaldson. Just, there's just so little market for him. Like if Josh, if Josh Donaldson was a free agent this year, he'd sign like a one eight contract. So you've got to find a way to make up $17 million in value, um, which is pretty tough to do in any trade, I think. Right. And given, given how difficult that would be, I, I wonder if they just make the decision that whatever prospect they'd have to attach to move a significant chunk of his salary, they'd rather just hold on to and pay Donaldson what he's owed this year and then move on. Yeah, but I really don't want him on the team, Peter. So. Right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that he must do. I don't I I'm like going back and forth like every week with whether I think he can be a productive hitter or not. I think the reason why he wasn't a productive hitter is because he did not come to grips with the fact that whatever he did with his swing and body when he was 30, 29, 28 is not what he can do anymore. I think that he actually still might have bat speed. I wish that we had the data to support that, but he still hit the ball pretty hard at times, like when he did hit it hard. So that's indicative of maybe he has some bat speed left. And I, I also think that his bat speed, average bat speed, below average bat speed relative to the rest of the league is probably still pretty high in the sense that he can be a productive hitter, but he just like needs to realize that he can't just keep doing the same thing he's always been doing. It's just not going to fucking work. Yeah, I don't want him on the team. Get rid of him. Same. Um, yeah, I, I don't the, mind I'm that. Doing the, I'm doing the SB Nation every year, every winter we do like a off-season simulation of everyone pretends to be the GM and, and one of my, I don't know what our, ta- what our actual directives are from ownership. We get like a, here's the three things that you need to do this winter. Um, one of mine is like, find a way to get rid of Josh Donaldson. Um, but again, like to this point about, to this point about how bad his contract is, like I'm just using baseball trade values, which is, you know, it's, it's one site. Um, you know, he's worth negative $21 million in value, uh, which is roughly what the market value of Jason Dominguez is right now. So you would need for a, a fully, square trade you would need to attach Jason Dominguez to Josh yeah. Donaldson, which I don't think is going to happen. No way. There's just, there's no way that's going to happen. So let's talk though. We, we sort of danced around it a little bit. Let's talk about sort of the three rookies. Uh, I don't think that D- Dominguez is going to be up with the majors this year. I think they're 2023. I think he's someone that is like 2024 uh, in my, in my eyes. But Peraza will definitely be a part of the big league team. I think Cabrera, barring any of these guys getting traded, Cabrera will be, and and of course Anthony Volpe will be. Hangen, uh, Esteban's best friend, was on Effectively Wild last week and, and talked about the situation and talked about how Anthony Volpe probably isn't a viable shortstop because of all the muscle that he's packed on in his lower half, which is one reason why he's a much better hitter than he, he was when he came out of high school probably makes him a little too ungainly for shortstop in the majors. And he seemed very down on Oswaldo Cabrera's ability to play the infield, which is fine for me because I think that he can go into left field. Um, Peter, 
what do you see as the the ideal deployment of those three guys, and what do you see as the deployment that the Yankees will actually uh, choose to go with? Yeah, so ugh. Um, <laughs> Cabrera's – it was interesting to hear what Eric had to say about Cabrera just not having the hands to be a big league uh, infielder. Um, that was kind of disheartening because I kind of had my hopes up that he could be your, your long-term third baseman at which um, frees up Volpe. I mean, Praza is clearly the best shortstop, defensively the best shortstop of the bunch. And that's, you know, they have him pegged for shortstop in the major leagues. And Eric, I think, said he sees him as an everyday starting shortstop. Maybe not a star, but an everyday starter. Volpe, I I found it interesting to also hear him, say, Eric, say that um they are having Volpe do a throwing program this winter because they're actually really worried about his, his, his arm strength. Yeah. And that's why they are leaning towards putting him at second rather than third. There had been some reports uh, at the beginning of this year that maybe he would play third just to kind of alleviate the range issues that come with him having a bulkier, bulkier body. But if he's if he's pegged for second, then I think that reopens the possibility of Gleyber Torres maybe being moved this this offseason now that he's uh, reestablished some of the trade value that tanked in the previous two years. So my ideal lineup, I guess, from from left to right would be uh, DJ at third, um, Praza at to starting the year at shortstop, and then Glaber at second until it's time to call up Praza with Cabrera as your everyday uh, left fielder. Uh, I think that if you're going to trade Torres, you trade him in the offseason so that the team gets a full season of value out of him. Yeah, good point. Go ahead, Esma. Yeah, if you watched video of Volpe throwing, he throws lollipops. Um, I think it was maybe in June at some point that I that someone had like really high quality video on Twitter of him making plays, and I was just like, oh my god, he has a miserably weak arm. And usually at this point in your career, like your arm doesn't get that much stronger if you're a position player. It just like it doesn't happen. You can't. You don't put enough time into it. But he does look like he has good instincts, so maybe second is well suited for him. And yeah, Peraza is obviously nasty at shortstop. I don't know, like, there's probably not even a conversation to be had here anymore about him versus Volpe. Like, he is filthy at shortstop. He stepped on a diamond in the ALCS and made that play. I think it was in the first inning where he was, like, charging a ball uh, towards second base and just made a disgusting play. Like, he's a he's he's good. He's, ve- he's very good. Um, so, yeah, I would like to stick him at shortstop. And I also think Anthony Volpe might be better than Gleyber Torres, like the moment he steps on a baseball field, just because. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because Gleyber is just so inconsistent. Like, it's, yeah, he put up whatever, three and a half, four, but I think Volpe's probably going to do that in a much more stable way over the course of a season. So, and, and with more, like, there's more in Volpe's game. What, one of the things I, I really like about Volpe is, like, he was always this really high floor hitter because he made a lot of contact and he has a, a speed element to him. But he also like because he's added this power, he is like we throw the term around a lot like high floor, high ceiling. And most guys aren't actually high floor, high ceiling players. I think that Volpe and I mean, we got to be careful with comps because he's he's never played in the majors. But I think that he is one of those guys that like every year consistently he's going to give you four wins and then he'll bust out some seven win seasons because he'll hit thirty home runs and steal twenty five bags. Like I think that he is, 
again, trying to be careful, but I think that he's the closest thing to Aaron Judge that the Yankees have had since Aaron Judge debuted in terms of that very high floor, but also superstar potential. And I don't know that Glaber Torres has the superstar potential anymore. I think that we've seen that he's just not going to be a seven-win player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ship is sailed. Um, I agree with you, Josh. It really does seem like he's just going to be very good right away. And it's funny because whenever I hear like prospect people compa- like describe his offensive skill set, I usually think of Glaber's like early years where it was like he gets to his power really easily. He makes hard contact consistently, even though he doesn't have this plus plus bat speed. Uh, so it, I'm, I, I'm often reminded of Glaber, but that version of Glaber is not what we have now. But yeah, I, if obviously they're going to manipulate his service time, I wouldn't be surprised if IKF and DJ share second base uh, until Volpe is ready. But yeah, I, I guess Oswaldo will flip between left and second. Maybe right, depending on the situation. But he's an everyday player too. It seems like, which makes me feel as if Benintendi probably isn't coming back. Yeah, I don't have a lot of appetite. Uh, Peter, do you have any appetite for uh, Andrew Benintendi? Pass. Yeah, I think as long as I think if I think as, if you don't bring Judge back, then you probably just need him just to be a body in the outfield. But yeah, I, nah, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, yeah. Okay. So we'll do a little bit of a tease. Like I said, um, I'm doing the SB Nation off-season sim uh, for uh, Pinstripe Alley. Uh, both Esteban and Peter are on my team uh, that are going to be recommending uh, different moves and different trades. I am very sad that we don't have Dan anymore, so you two have to learn about prospects. Although we also have Madison that can do that too. Um, so I think that next week we should do a Twitter space talking about the moves that were made in the in the sort of simulated off season and which moves were good, which moves were bad. I had a really bad year last year because I didn't want to go into, I didn't want to give Carlos Correa $420 million. So yeah, I don't know if you guys are down for that. I think that'd be a fun, a fun little exercise to do. Yeah, I'm down. Yes, let's do it. Roll it back. I would, I would also like to remind uh, Esteban and Peter, who now lives in California and didn't live in California when I made these plans, uh, Esteban, I'm in New York in a month. So I a remember month from, a I month remember. from tomorrow, uh, we have to find good Brooklyn places to go to. Okay, I can do that. Okay, I want to go to a Godfather's Pizza. Okay. Okay. Thanks, boys. Let's talk to you guys next week, and we'll have a yep. simulated yeah. off season to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Cheers, boys.